Well, good morning, and uh, welcome to Journey, and uh, welcome to Sprinter. I think someone coined that phrase where you don't know to get your lawnmower or your snow shovel out, uh, which one to do in, a, in the morning, but uh, hopefully this week's going to be better. We're optimistic about that. Some of you guys are, were down in Florida and came back with a tan and got, came back to some snow. Uh, that's what you get, all right? <laughs> the rest of us, uh, no, we're, uh, we're glad you're here today. We're glad you're back uh, safely. Uh, we're going to begin a new series today called Like Jesus. I'm kind of excited about this. We've been thinking about this and talking about this for some time, and uh, we're going to be uh, sharing, hopefully, uh, a challenge to all of us about how we live our lives as Christians, some of the most important things that we are called to do. And I want to begin by telling you a story about uh, a friend of mine. I-, I met Mark about 25 years ago. He brought his kids to our youth ministry up in Indiana And he figured that he had had enough Jesus when he was a kid, but his kids needed to hear about Jesus too. And uh, so he brought them to church. However, the church was several miles away from his home. And so he decided he would stay there while his kids uh, were having youth group. And Mark was a pretty secular guy. He was in management at a, uh, a local furniture factory there, but he wanted out of the corporate world. His real passion was construction. And uh, so we kind of connected on some level. And the first time we really spent any time together... Uh, we went on a camping trip. We used to take the kids on a camping trip in the summer, and uh, he was driving tent stakes, stakes in the ground, and he hit himself in the mouth with a hammer. I thought he was going to bleed to death. And I was thinking, this guy wants to be in construction, but he's about to kill himself driving in tent stakes. I didn't really know what to make of Mark, but soon uh, he and I became really good friends. Soon he was hanging out with the church more and more, even when his kids weren't there. And the connection in our life really became a lot stronger. We worked together on several things. And he started going with me to share the gospel with people. We would go out and talk to them. And you know, if you've ever talked to people about something serious, then they have kids, it's really hard to get that done. And so Mark would take the kids and he would kind of pull them to a side. He would keep them occupied and, uh, and, and I could keep the parents focused. And so it worked pretty well. And then one time I told Mark, you know, on, the, on our way to visit these people, I said, Mark, I'm going to watch the kids today and you're going to present the gospel. And uh, he was up for it. He did it. Uh, he, the people responded, accepted Christ, and Mark was hooked. And soon Mark joined the board of a Christian service camp there locally. He began speaking at churches and youth groups, and, and uh, God was doing something really neat in his life. He quit his job uh, to have more time to serve, and he also started a small construction company, and he helped me build my first house. He gave me a love for building, and maybe I guess I gave him a love for ministry, because soon he felt the call to full-time Christian service. I was honored to, to preach his ordination And Mark has been the minister at Hanover Christian Church in Hanover, Indiana, for probably close to 20 years. You know, I would call Mark a disciple, and I would call him a maker of other disciples as well. And I've been blessed to be able to see a lot of other people follow a similar path, not necessarily into ministry. I'm not saying that's what it recalls, because most people don't take that particular journey. But I want to just kind of focus for a few weeks now on thinking about what Jesus has really called us to do and to be and how God wants to use us. And today we're going to begin a series that will address the prim- one of the primary uh, vision points of our church, which is to make disciples who make disciples. Make disciples who make disciples. And we're calling this series Like Jesus. And that's kind of an obvious nod to social media, uh, uh, but... Uh, 
uh, you know, the idea of kind of liking things, certain things. Now, if you're not on Facebook and you don't use that language at all, uh, I was trying to translate what that might look like. It's a way of saying amen or that's right uh, by clicking a button. That's kind of what like does. It allows you to kind of agree with somebody and say, yeah, I would, I would agree with the same thing. But the real purpose for this series is more importantly to help us say that we want to do things like Jesus does. We want to be like Jesus. We don't want to just like Jesus. You know, there are a lot of people who would like Jesus, but we want to be like Jesus. And you know, making disciples is what Jesus did, and we want to make disciples like Jesus did. That's a pretty important thing, you know? In fact, it was the last thing that Jesus said right before he went into heaven. He said this in Matthew 28, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I commanded you. Jesus, I want you to go and make disciples. Now, I don't want you to get confused and messed up on the word disciple. That, that word, we don't use that a lot. In fact, probably nowhere else in any other part of our lives that we use the word disciple. But a disciple just means a follower. That you are a follower of someone, that you agree with them, and you're, you're bought in, and you're on the same track with them. So our task as Christians is to, first of all, be a disciple, a follower of Christ, and then our job is to go on and to make other Christians or followers of Christ or disciples. Now, that's what Jesus said to do 2,000 years ago. It was the last thing that he, he told us, and sometimes his last words have become our last concern. You know, it's not really what we focus on today. Somehow, we've lost that concept in our modern world of church. For many of us, we think that all God wants us to do is show up on Sunday morning, give Him an hour or two of our time, we, you know, check that box, and if we're doing that, we actually think we're doing God some big favor. I showed up, you know, I was there, I, I got counted for you, God. But I'm going to tell you, God wants a lot more from that, much more from us, and it's not an optional thing. In fact, I would venture to say that we are not truly a mature follower of Christ until we are making disciples until we are disciples who are making other disciples. Now, a lot of us, I know, feel kind of inadequate at that, and maybe that's a new thing to throw on you. Maybe you never thought about that. Even though maybe you lead a small group or teach a class or whatever it is, understand that we're not just communicating information. Our goal, hopefully, is that we're bringing life change and transformation. And God has equipped us for that. In fact, God has given us all the tools, all the information that we need to do the job. And for example, the method of make disciples is provided for us. Jesus said, I want you to go, or as you go, in any and every area of your life, I want you to go, and when you go, teach. Just share Jesus. And whenever people respond, I want you to baptize them as an expression of their identifying with the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And then I want you to teach them to obey everything. It's not rocket science. It's not like we have to try to invent some method because Jesus has already modeled that for us. And then he said, I want you to make sure that you reinforce that by spending some time with people. I want you to equip them to imitate Jesus. And then I want you to encourage them to do the same thing over and over again. It's really simple. So we have the method. We also have the model, the model that Jesus gave us, uh, become like him. You know, we just simply live our life in a simple way, worshiping God, and we call other people to do the same thing. We have the message. We don't have to create curriculum. We already got the word. We got the message. Repent of our sins. Confess Jesus as Lord. Be baptized. And we have the means as well. 
In fact, the Bible says that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on, on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Another uh, aspect or another uh, record of the great, what we call the Great Commission. And so you see, guys, we're not out there by ourselves. Not only do we have the, the message and the method and the means and the model and everything else, we've got the Holy Spirit inside of us. I don't know about you, but sometimes I used to think, man, all the pressure is on me. I've got to produce. I've got to do something. And then I realized, no, really, Randy, you're the mouthpiece. You know, just shut up and say what you got to say. Get out of the way and let God work. Let God do something. But I got to show up. I got to show up and be used by God. That's important. You know, Jesus' entire ministry was spent making disciples. I mean, if you go back and read the Gospels, what did Jesus do? He made disciples. He called them, and then he made disciples. And then his goal was to establish a group of people who would then be able to be left in charge to continue the process. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I get a little unnerved to think, you know what? This church for which Christ suffered and died and he loved so much is only one generation away from being extinct. And all of that basically is laid upon our generation. It's laid upon us to make sure that doesn't happen. It doesn't become extinct. Let's not blow it. So what does that mean? It means that we have to take personal responsibility for making disciples for future generations. In fact, God's plan is for the whole world to be one. For us to multiply our efforts to grow larger, not just to hold our own, but to grow and to change the world, to win the world. So what does that mean? That means that we got to think about the people in our lives that we can influence and make disciples of. That means our children. I believe our ministry begins at home. You ought to be discipling your children. It also means that we look beyond our family as, fa- as friends and peers and coworkers, neighbors, anyone and everyone. And it must become not just something we think about or talk about, but a way of life, as that's the way Jesus lived his life. It's natural. Today, we default to think, you know, the church will do all of that. And we, the church doesn't have a face sometimes, doesn't it, unless it's the ministers of the church. But we think that's the church's job. We think we got facilities, you know, we got programs, we got services, we got events, and those make disciples. But I want to tell you, that's not what makes disciples. People make disciples. And in this series, we're going to look at several teachings, several events in the life of Jesus that showed how he literally made disciples and sowed into people's lives so that we can learn how to not only be disciples, but make disciples as well. And we're going to begin with a scripture we'll repeat several times in the study. It's from Matthew chapter 4, where we kind of get our, our outline for this, this series. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. So here we see three things that Jesus is trying to impart. First of all, Jesus said, follow me. He's talking about being relational. Following somebody not just meant that you walked behind them, but you actually identified with them, that you had a relationship with that person like I was talking about with Mark. And then he says, follow me, relational. I will make you, which is very intentional. Many times we're not very intentional what we do. Some things happen by accident, some things don't. Jesus said, I'm going to be intentional. I will make you, make you what? Fishers of men. That's the missional side of what he's called us to do. 
And so that'll be kind of be the rough outline that we'll talk about in the next few weeks about how Jesus made disciples. But today we're going to begin by talking about how Jesus was relational in making followers or leading people to follow after him. And let me give you three scenarios. I was thinking about this, about what this might look like in our lives. Because I don't know about you, I need something tangible. I need a, a, a model, I need a pattern to say, okay, this is something that I can do. So here's three scenarios that I, I kind of made up. The first scenario is really basic. First of all, God blesses a husband and wife with children. Many of us have children, right? And they are believers as parents, and they realize this amazing responsibility that God has kind of dropped in their lap, that God has given them a gift, a blessing, a baby, maybe more than one. And all of a sudden, they realize, wow, we've got to provide for this child. We've got to get them to adulthood. And that means a lot of things. It means that we can't let them starve to death. It means we've got to clothe them. We've got to care for them. We've got to teach them. They're not savages, you know. And we're not just providing for them physically and emotionally, but also spiritually. Spiritually as well. And so they make a commitment to their child. Maybe for some, they dedicate that child. You know, we have our dedication uh, service for babies that we'll do on, on uh, Mother's Day coming up in May. So they make a commitment. Maybe they dedicate this child to God, but they commit them to take them to church regularly, to set an example of Christian living for them, and give them all the advantages, all the opportunities of the Christian community. Here's the thing. They take responsibility for discipling their own child. You know, a lot of people feel like, you know, we're taking our kid to church and we're going to let the church do it. No, no. God says, this is your child. You take personal responsibility for discipling your child and let the church supplement that. And then a little bit later, when the child comes to an awareness of their sin, their need for Jesus Christ, the parents sit down and they lead them to the Lord. And then in many cases, which we encourage you, they'll baptize them. Now, what's really awesome is in second service, uh, we have a, a family that are going to do just that, a dad that's going to baptize his uh, sons, which is going to be awesome. You may want to hang around and come back for that. But, but that's kind of the pattern. That's a beautiful pattern. And then when that happens, they realize, you know, well, these are just babies. We're not done. That these are just babies in Christ, and now we're going to nurture them, we're going to train them, we're going to raise them up to know the Lord, and we're going to live a consistent example for them because they have to mature, and then they realize that as generations, hopefully, this is what's going to happen in, in those families. That's one scenario. Here's a second scenario. You're a Christian, and you work in a secular workplace, and it isn't always a good place to work sometimes just because of what goes on, the gossip and everything that happens there, favoritism. But you know, you say, you know what, God's put me here and so I'm going to do my best to be a, a Christ-like example every day. And you don't, you don't, you're not perfect, you blow it sometimes, but you, you do your best and you're constantly looking for some opportunities. You're looking for times and ways just to be nice to people, to show concern for them, to show them the love of Christ, which is pretty important. And every now and then, when the time is right, you, you respectfully start conversations about your faith or drop hints. And you talk about what a personal relationship with Christ looks like. One of your coworkers shows a little bit of interest there, and they begin to ask some questions. And, and you realize that he or she, they want what you have. And so you answer their questions. You encourage them, you know, come and join me with church. You invite them to go to church with you. As their interest increases, you get the chance to share the gospel with them, not during work time, but a little bit later. You share with them, they accept Christ, they're baptized, and they begin their own journey with Jesus Christ. And what's interesting is that before long, you notice that they're duplicating your efforts. 
that they're having those little side conversations with people. They're bringing people to church with them. Their families are changing. And sometimes maybe it changes your workplace. Here's a third scenario that I think is common as well. You're growing in your faith, but you know that God has more for you to do. People tell me that a lot. They say, you know, I feel, think that God has, has more for me to do. I'm not doing enough. And I encourage them, well, be careful how much you jump into. But, but let me tell you, maybe God, when you feel that, maybe God is saying that you need to invest in somebody else. And so you see this younger Christian there who has a lot of potential, but they need someone to invest in them. So you make a commitment of your time and your energy, and you sacrifice a consistent time on a regular basis just to spend time with them. Some casual time just going out to eat, always male with male, female with female, always. But you make this time and then some very intentional time in helping them move on their spiritual journey. And they begin to grow and they begin to mature. And soon you notice that they've begun doing the same thing for a younger Christian, a younger spiritual person in the church as well. See, those are all really simple things. You see that happen all the time, right? Or we should. But the one thing that those scenarios have in common, not only making disciples, but also they're primarily relational. And that kind of takes us back to the idea to say that programs are great. Churches, we love programs, right? But programs don't make disciples. In fact, sometimes programs occupy all of our time and energy. And to be honest with you, one of the things that we want to be a simple church, we don't want to have so much programming that people are running here, running there, doing stuff all the time, and they don't even have time to have relationships with people that can make disciples. There's some churches that are so over-programmed that they don't provide people a chance to do that, not with their family or anybody else. Programs don't make disciples. Services and studies don't make disciples. We need them. Obviously, they're important, but they don't necessarily make disciples. Books don't make disciples. Disciples make disciples. We recreate what we are when we're intentional about it. And that happens only within the idea of relationships. So you see, discipleship is nothing more than sharing the good news of the gospel and seeking to multiply Christ's character, Christ's priorities in people through a web of relationships. And you know what? We do that all the time in other areas of our life, right? In business, we call that networking. Networking. We're connecting with people. We're getting to know people. We're having lunches with people, and, and we're spending time with them. We realize that, you know what? If you're in sales, your next sale may be from someone you just networked with. If you're looking for a job, your next job, your career may end up with the person that you had lunch with when an opening comes up or whatever it may be, you're looking for things to change because of relationships. Now, why are relationships so really important? I think relationships are important because of this. All true life change comes through relationships. All true life change comes only through relationships. I mean, think about this for a minute, will you? Who you are today, your character, your personality, your skills, your experiences came from somebody else. It may have been a parent. It could have been a coach who believed in you, a teacher that invested in you, a boss that took you under their wing, a manager, someone who was just more experienced than you in your, in your career. They took time to invest in you and teach you what you know today. Have you noticed that many of the crucial jobs today, really important things, require internships, apprenticeships, mentoring, things like teaching in the medical field, 
You don't just throw somebody out. You put them with someone who knows what they're doing. And they spend time and they're invested in. And all life change, true life change, comes through relationships. Obviously, parenting is a huge example of that. But there's a lot of other ways, too, that people learn and grow and become disciples or followers. And while you, what you do may be really important, may be crucial, saving lives, whatever it is, let me just tell you, there, there is no greater work than making disciples. There is no greater work than making disciples. And there's no better example of that than Jesus Christ and how to do it. In John chapter 17, here's how Jesus described what he did with his disciples. This is kind of the pattern that he used there. Seven disciplines of a disciple maker. Number one, Jesus said in verse six that I revealed you to those you gave me. I revealed God to people. In verse 8, I gave them the words that you gave me, the word that come from, comes from God. We have something to give to people. We have truth. Verse 9, I pray for them. We pray for the people that we're investing in. Verse 11, I protected them. Verse 18, I sent them into the world. Verse 19, for them I sanctify myself. And then in verse 22, I have given them the glory that you gave me. That's what Jesus said he did for his disciples. You see, Jesus gathered this ragtag group of men, and he said to them, come and follow me. And for several months, they did that, literally. He was everything for them. He led them everywhere they went. Nobody said, hey, let's go somewhere. Jesus said, no, we got a plan. Come with me. He provided food for them, sometimes miraculously feeding thousands of people at the same time. Jesus settled their petty little arguments there. He helped their families when they were in need. Probably gave them marriage counseling as well. I can imagine that. I know at least once he even paid taxes for them. Jesus did everything for them. And sometimes when you're encouraging people and discipling people, you have to really lead them. But then as time went on, Jesus began to pull back a little bit. He began to delegate responsibilities to them. He would send them out on short-term mission trips. He would say, here, you take the food and you break it and you give it to the people and feed them. And he would build maturity into them. He would encourage them and comfort them when they failed. And he would lead them to understand the seriousness of this mission. Probably more than anything else, though, he taught them to love one another. These guys were so different. Some of them were, you know, a fisherman, a tax collector. There were all sorts of personalities. But by the end of that time, for the most part, they were a cohesive group. They learned to love one another. And he told them that was the greatest characteristic of a disciple. And he did all this through relationship because relationships were not just a strategy. Relationships was a way of life for Jesus and his disciples. And that, that should tell us a whole lot. So guys, if we're going to be like Jesus, we got to make disciples and we have to do that through simple relationships. It's not optional. But let me also tell you that it's not easy as well. It's difficult for several reasons. And the first one's pretty obvious. It is difficult because to genuinely love people and invest in people, we have to sacrifice our time and our energy. We have to do that. It demands that. And in our limited world, you know, we, we look back and we say, well, yeah, Jesus, disciples, they didn't really have jobs other than that, did they? Just kind of walked around and taught, which would be great. We don't live life. That's not our culture, isn't it? We have to create the time. In our limited humanity, we can only genuinely invest in a small number of people at one time. Jesus didn't disciple thousands of people. He ministered to thousands, 
but he only poured into 12. 12 people, and he did that full time. So in our limited humanity, we're only going to be able to disciple a few people. We have a, a lot of friends, a lot of acquaintances, but probably very few disciples. And by the way, let me just say this, that when you invest in someone and they kind of follow you, you know, it's okay to call them your disciple. It's all right to do that. As long as you're humble, as long as you're pointing them to Jesus, as long as you're not Jim Jones, it's all right, all right? Some of you don't remember that, but back in, I think, 70s, late 70s, Jim Jones led about a thousand people to uh, uh, another country, and he led them to drink the Kool-Aid. That's where that phrase comes from. And he was not a disciple maker, not for Jesus. But his people were committed to him, unfortunately, committed to the wrong thing. You know what that shows me is that people are willing to follow someone if they believe in them. And what we have to do is we have to create where people trust us and they will allow us to lead them and point them to Jesus Christ. But what I've discovered is that we have to take personal ownership. Why? Because we can't just say, oh, our church is making disciples. We have to say, no, I'm, I'm making disciples. I'm pointing people to Jesus. I'm encouraging them. And if you invest in people, they're always going to appreciate you and respect you for it. And you're going to always have an interest in what you're doing. This week, I connected with Mark. I said, how's it going? How's it going up there in Hanover, Indiana? And, uh, and we got a chance just to connect there for a few minutes. So, so the people that you influence, you're always going to have an interest in. But it is demanding to do that. You have to create some time in your schedule. It's awful difficult because also, as we begin to genuinely love our disciples and invest them, we begin to carry this uh, a new level of concern and burden for them. You notice in Jesus' life and in this prayer that's in John 17, that Jesus had a burden and he had a concern for these people, these men he had invested in so heavily. And his concern was that they would stay faithful. And in that prayer, he was heartbroken that Judas, even though it was destined, prophesied that he would fall away and betray Christ, he was heartbroken that he had done so. And his final prayer in the garden was that his disciples would stay strong, that they would remain faithful. You know, I can kind of understand that in some way because it breaks my heart whenever I see people that I've been able to lead to the Lord, baptize them, invest into, when I see those people fall away and begin to replace the things of the Lord with the things of the world... It's heartbreaking, isn't it? It's kind of like as a parent seeing your children, you know, that you've invested in, walk away from everything that, that you've taught them to value. And, and that just breaks your heart. And so that, that's kind of a cost that you have when you invest in people. That's one of the risks out there. But I also want to encourage you to say that if we're going to be like Jesus, we're going to have to kind of embrace this idea of making disciples. Whether it starts with our children, whether it, whether it, it starts with our neighbor or a coworker, whatever it may be, we have to make sure that that's what we're focused on. Is it intimidating? Do we feel like I can't do this? Uh, yeah, it really does. Is it, does it require a lot of work? It does. But I want to tell you, there's nothing more rewarding as a Christian than to see someone while you're here upon the earth, uh, see a disciple that you've made making more disciples. It makes you feel like a proud parent, to be honest with you. You know, I'm proud of my kids that, that I feel like I was, Lori and I were poured into for many years. I'm proud of Mark. I'm proud of other people that I've helped disciple as well. And so that, that, gives, that gives you an element of fulfillment to say, you know what, I feel like God used me there. But I'll go beyond that to say that in heaven, to see the disciples that we have made and multiple generations that, that they have made of their disciples in heaven 
It's going to be an amazing thing as we all drop all of our human relationships and focus on the throne. That's going to be amazing. And nothing will be greater than hearing Jesus say to us, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things. I'm going to make you ruler over many things. Guys, that's what we want to hear. And I really believe that this idea of doing the thing that Jesus spent his time on the earth doing is going to bring the greatest amount of commendation from God. Well done, servant. You have been faithful. It's what we need to be about. So here's my challenge to you. If you've been a Christian for a while, and some of us have, maybe years, decades, maybe, if you've been a Christian for a while, I want to challenge you to begin praying that God would show you who you should approach and offer to disciple. I want to challenge you to do that, to move out of this idea to say, I need more knowledge, I need more information. I want to challenge you to step out and say, God, who do you want me to invest in personally? Or if you're a young Christian and you know it and you want to grow, who should you approach and ask to invest in you? Who are you going to ask? I'd like to spend some time with you and kind of learn and help me figure this out. And if you're here and you're not a follower of Christ, I want to encourage you to investigate this one who claimed to be and was proven to be the Son of God. But ask the question, what would make people leave everything and follow Him? Why would people do that? That's an intriguing question. And I believe that if you investigate the claims of Jesus, you will discover the answer for yourself And you'll decide, this too is what I want. I want to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And I want to challenge us all to think about, I know it's a new concept to many of us, to move out of our comfort zone of just getting and start giving and pouring into the life of others. Because that is how the Great Commission will be fulfilled. It was God's plan originally. We've lost the the model. Let's recapture it. And let's be like Jesus in what we do. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, God, I know that this is uh, challenging. Even as I speak these words, uh, it moves us out of our our comfort zone of just saying, I want to worship Jesus. I just want to be a Christian. It moves us and challenges us to say, God, I want to join Christ in the Great Commission. I want to be one not only who, uh, who worships, but who disciples and makes disciples. God, I pray that you'll help us as we all take a big step and stretch our lives. God, help us to pray, to discover what your will might be, what role you would have us to step in in someone's life, or what next step in our own journey that would take us to be more mature, would move us to be more influential in the lives of others. And God, use us. Give us your power. Give us your Holy Spirit that will help us, give us the courage the wisdom, the determination, the success to be like Jesus. I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.